It's time for Security Now. Steve Gibson is here. We've got a lot of security news. <laughs> and, you know, the usual warnings and so forth. Plus, uh, some great questions and answers from you, our audience. Stay tuned. Security Now is next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for security now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for security now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 403, recorded May 8, 2013. Your questions, Steve's answers, number 167. Security Now is brought to you by ProXPN. ProXPN is a virtual private network that allows you to use the Internet the way it should be, anonymously and without oversight. For 20% off your new account, go to ProXPN.com slash twit and use the code SN20. That's 20% off for life with the offer code SN20. It's time for Security Now, the show that protects you and your loved ones online, your privacy. And there he is, the man who does it all for you, Mr. GRC Gibson Research Corporation head honcho, Steve Gibson. Hey, Steve. Yo, Leo. Yo, Steve. We've been having fun talking about sci-fi and Nimoy and Spock <laughs> and all of that yeah. before the show. That, But we'll get to that yeah. in a little bit. We'll get to yeah. that in a little bit. This is a Q&A um, episode. It's a Q&A episode. If, the, if we have any listeners in who are, I guess, live listeners or who will listen, well, yeah, it pretty much has to be live. Uh, KTLA is airing throughout the day the little piece, the segment I did with them about uh, forming proper passwords. Oh, good. Uh, I started, Elaine, actually, I got a text from Elaine this morning. She said, I heard your voice from the other room. <laughs> and I thought, you know, she probably knows my voice she does. better than she anybody, than anybody. <laughs> else. Yeah, exactly. So Elaine so, is the uh, woman who transcribes this fine show each yep, and every And week. is forced to sit and listen to this, whether she wants to or not. Uh, what did he say? What did he say? She's at, we've actually had some uh, great uh, referrals to her from the show. That is, our our listeners who have have heard about Elaine have found her. Um, She's getting services. work from it. Good. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's neat, and I guess everybody's happy about that. So, yeah. and she, of course, is. So yeah, we have a Q and A. Um, we've got. Uh, we're I've pushed. The questions that we didn't get to two weeks ago into this one because they were good and worth talking about, and then at and then filled in with some others that were in the mailbag. Excellent. And of course, we've got our week's news. Um, okay, now the number one most tweeted, like Steve, what does this mean? Tweet that I got over the week, all was from basically a an overhyped headline. On a story, the headline was Government Lab Reveals It Has Operated Quantum Internet for Over Two Years. Is it me or should we expect better of the MIT Technology Review? I know. I know. it Well, and frankly, the MIT Technology Review, you would think that it would be hardcore. It's really just a fluff 
rags. Um, it, I mean, it's not Jason anything. Ponton has turned it into a piece of crap, to be honest. Yeah, it's him. really too bad because, you know, this got everybody excited. <gasps> well, you know, what does this mean? Well, it turns out, you know, so it's like, okay, I'll find out. Um, it's very disappointing. Um, so, okay, but, but see, so here's the idea. The idea with so-called quantum communications is that it is utterly secure. It is more secure than any cryptography because, after all, there is a key somewhere, and if the bad guy knew the key, unlikely as that may be, then, then they can decrypt what you've got. Quantum communications, the, the whole concept is the act of receiving the information changes it. So so for what so so the idea is you cannot tap a a quantum communication which is being done by photons you know over a fiber optic cable the 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 the, the, the whole deal is that any the 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 act of observing the information at a quantum in a you know quantum physics sense makes that event detectable it 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 I don't know if it collapses the state or if it alters it, but it, there is absolutely, and I mean, the physicists know that it it cannot be intercepted or eavesdropped on. Well, is that the, that's, that's the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Is that? Um, I don't know if that's Heisenberg because that's you know you, we don't know if oh, wait no there's Heisenberg and then there's Schrodinger. Schrodinger's, Schrodinger's cat. Yeah, that's the where two states. You're not sure but if the, what the state is in I until it, you observe it, and that, then it collapses the state. Yeah, the idea is that uh, any observation changes an object. Right, right, and we do know that uh, the uh, that we know do know from from current quantum physics that that is the case. So, what what has been done is a quantum link has been set up that allows information to flow and and the problem is an internet requires routing and no one has been able to figure out how to do a quantum router and you could argue that a quantum router breaks the security because routing requires looking at the address and then sending it out in the proper direction and the act of looking at the address means that now you have you've penetrated the the security of the link so the way they solve that is they use a hub instead of routing so like so all of the nodes have a an optical a fiber optic connection into a hub so first of all now we don't really have an internet now we have a hub, which is not nearly as exciting because they don't know how to do quantum routing, and you could argue that you can't. Then the problem is they to have it be really secure, they would have to have it go in both directions. But that would require two links, and that would double the cost. <laughs> and so they said, well, we don't want to do that. Well, okay. So what they've ended up doing is... They ha- so what they ended up doing, I mean, this is sad, is they send a one-time pad down the quantum link to the hub. And that's what the hub uses 
to send data back over a conventional network. <laughs> so uh, it's like, okay, you know. So basically what they did was they used sort of existing technology to 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 enhance a quantum connection and 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 then again existing technology to like allow it to be actually useful for something basically this is like a strained way of generating some news it seems to me it's like who cares about this now also and so now it is true we know about a one-time pad we've talked about that and that's a, that that's an effective technique very effective now you do need really good random numbers or why bother once again so one assumes that all of the senders are using not pseudo random algorithmic numbers because if they are then that's a weakness but they're actually generating they're like you know diode noise or thermal noise or or quantum noise or any of the 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 truly chaotic processes which we now know how to you how how to harness and refine into very high quality truly random numbers so the idea is that they're that it's sending those down the link and and then presumably storing them locally then the hub gets them and then xors the data it wants to send back with that one time pad and when it arrives then the 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 node re-XORs it with the buffered one-time pad. And it's like, uh, okay. I mean, so so you, you cannot intercept the optical link because it uses fancy quantumness downstream. And you can do whatever you want to with the upstream, upstream traditional link because it's truly noise, absolutely undecipherable. And... You can't get the one-time pad because you can't intercept the downstream link that carries it. However, the security of the hub must then be infinite. That is, all. I mean, if, if, if you compromise the hub, the hub has all of the one-time pad information and all of the interchange information, and it is essentially the router. So it's like, eh. Okay, well, anyway, that's what it is. It's nothing. <laughs> it's, it's a science experiment in a lab, and yeah. who cares? Yeah. I mean, it, it bears no practical application, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean that, <gasps> you know, there's a quantum Internet operating in secret somewhere. It's yeah. like, no, yeah. you know, because they, they unfortunately, the, the quantum technology is too good. You, it's so good you can't route it because, you know, because to, to look at it in order to route it, wrecks it so yeah nothing <sighs> and back to mundane news uh ie8 only ie8 has a bad zero day flaw which is being exploited in the wild and people are being told to stop using ie8 who are concerned about this interestingly it doesn't affect six or seven or nine and ten just eight and and people like me are stuck on eight because XP won't let me use nine or ten. You don't get that until you go to Vista or Windows Seven. So 
you know, but I'm not using IE for anything anyway, so it's not a problem. But um, there is a – this was found by seeing it in the wild um, in watering hole attacks where specific industries – in this case, it seemed to be government – American government employees and contractors working in the nuclear research sector – and Europeans working in defense security and aerospace industries. The, the, what, what happened is some sites that those types of people tend to frequent were infected and were bouncing them to another server to install the poison ivy trojan that we've talked about. It's been around for a long time, and it's very good at thwarting uh, AV products. It's it's uh, it, it's able to avoid detection, but all but of all but two major antivirus products, and this was allowing whomever it was who was wanting to gain access to this sort of demographic of of target to get into their machines and siphon off presumably nuclear research sector information. Um, so that's been going on. And Microsoft has has confirmed the problem, issued a security announcement, and you know, and told everybody, well, you shouldn't be using IE eight after all, so stop it. Uh, and they'll presumably fix it here in our next uh, probably Patch Tuesday. I don't know that this is dire enough. Uh, however, it is in the Metasploit in a Metasploit framework, so common commonly available now, and there is no fix. So. As we know, a lot of the world is still using IE8. A lot of the world is still using XP. So, you know, there's a big chunk of target for exploitation until Microsoft does get this fixed. And um, another major ISP, British Telecom, announced in this past week that they're going to be rolling out carrier-grade NAT also. Um, this was c- covered by uh, Tech Week Europe that uh, covered their press release. And I thought their press release had some interesting little nuggets in it. Uh, they're just the beginning of it said, CG NAT, that is carrier-grade NAT, is a response to the dwindling... So this is their official... This is British Telecom's official statement about how they feel. CG NAT is a response to the dwindling number of... Internet protocol, parens IP addresses, available under IPv4. The version of the protocol used across the vast majority of the Internet today. While IPv6, which offers many more IP addresses, has been defined for more than 20 years, a broad implementation of it across the Internet appears to be nowhere in sight, forcing service providers to explore techniques for keeping their IPv4 customers connected. IPv6 landscape... Oh, I'm sorry, that, that, that's an insert. It says, the technique has been criticized because it imposes certain limits on users by virtue of the fact that their broadband connection no longer has the use of a fixed unique IP address, but is rather sharing an address with other users. In BT's trial, up to nine other users. 
This means, for instance, that users cannot serve content to the wider internet from servers on their home network. And BT admits that it can also affect activities such as going on such as online gaming and dynamic DNS services. Defending its trial, PlusNet, the the subset of BT that's doing this, pointed out that NAT is commonly used on LANs within homes and businesses, which mostly present one IP address to the wider internet. Home routers use NAT. And BT has pointed out that NAT is also standard practice for mobile broadband providers who have had to accommodate large numbers of new connected devices. Critics, however, responded that mobile Internet services lack the flexibility that, until now, has been standard with ordinary broadband services. So, anyway, we see, you know, another major organization saying, okay, you know, we're running out of IP space and our subscribers are on IPv4 and they're not ready to move, so we can't move. So Wasn't they're, it they're like the to- British government uh, that had all those, that big <laughs> Class A or whatever <laughs> yeah, it was? Yeah, there was a 16 million. It was a Class A network <laughs> that they were just using internally. So, so, oh, dude, come on, BT, talk to them. Yeah. It's your own people. And it was like the... The people in charge of paint or something. I mean, it was not. It was. It was was like, come on, what? Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Syria is back on the internet. Oh boy. Uh, Yesterday, the nineteen and a half hours yesterday, starting eighteen forty-five UTC on Tuesday, um, they just. I've seen the chart, and it just went. It's like someone pulled a plug. Somewhere. What they say is that someone pulled an optic cable. Oh, please. Uh, I know. I know. This is not the first time Siri has had problems. In fact, it was a 19 and a half hour, or it was a several hour, rather, uh, outage several times in the last uh, year. There have, you know, they sort of just dropped off the net and then come back. So, you know, we don't know why. Um, the state run Syrian Arab news agency, SANA, posted as, on, as sort of a banner at the top of their site. They said, Internet services back to normal across Syria after repairing optic cable malfunction. And malfunction was not spelled correctly in their banner, but um, we knew what they meant. So it's like, okay, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, we don't know. But anyway, they're back. Yeah. Remember Egypt did that when during the the yeah. uh, up up upset uh, and yep. uh, it's not an unusual for uh, yeah. governments to say gee if we only it's, didn't have an internet everything would be so much better so yeah people couldn't be tweeting <laughs> and couldn't be talking making to each all other this and that mess kind of thing. yeah okay so I wanted to let everybody know that Honey Words is on my radar and I've got it set to discuss in a couple of weeks once you're back Leo because. Um, it's Where am I going? Inter- Aren't you leaving next week? You're not here next week. Thought you were going somewhere. News to me, no? but I I won't say I'm not. <laughs> I, I thought we had IaaS. So. We had IaaS set up to to uh, to do the podcast. Oh, because of Google I/O. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That would be it. <laughs> Somebody, some John came running and said, "You're not here next week because of Google <laughs> I/O." Yes, that's right. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so. Um, uh, we're familiar with honey pots, 
And our for, for well, I think might have been our first podcast was the the classic honey yeah. monkeys. Honey monkeys that yeah. we had a lot of fun with. Yeah, well, now we're going to do honey words, but it's a an interesting concept that Ron Rivest, the R of RSA, has assembled. It's a nineteen page research report, so it's it's they won't fit in a little top of the show piece. So we'll do a podcast on it because there are many really interesting ideas. The the short, very, very, very short version is that that online services would plant not only fake accounts, but fake passwords, thus honey words, mirroring real ones in in people's accounts so that if their database ever got loose and people went to cracking it, if the cracked honey words were ever used, it would be like a canary in the coal mine. It would, you know, be a, an immediate alert that somebody, that they, somehow their their encrypted password database had gotten loose and somebody was encrypting it or was trying to decrypt it. So anyway, but there's many subtleties and, and interesting parts to this. So we, so, and a bunch of people have been tweeting me saying, Hey, is, is this good? So we're going to, it's, it is really interesting. So we'll give it a podcast in a few weeks. I just wanted to let everybody know. Um, GRC has some news. We passed the 5,000 mark in finding exposed universal plug and play ports for people. So I'm really happy we've got that service. Uh, GRC is now also, I've joined the ranks of sites which are 100% HTTPS. Yay. You can no long yes, you can no longer get a page that is not secured at GRC. I did that over the weekend. Um, then I added the HSTS facility. That's the HTTPS um, uh, STS is uh, I'm blanking on it now. Secure transport. Wait. Uh, <laughs> STS. I've said it so many times, and my and the headers are in supersonic every... transport. No, that's something else. That's another no STS. Uh, STS uh, transport security something. <laughs> Special, uh, uh, come on, somebody yeah, in the chat room will know. Yeah. Socket. No, STS. Uh, <laughs> I could, could, could source code or hyper secure transport stuff. No. Strict transport security. There it is. Strict transport security. Thank you, whoever that was. That was encoded okay. reality. So here's the deal. Um, and JBR. Uh, this is and very strength. cool. Um, so if someone makes a connection, for example, to a site that really wants to be secure, like mine, over non-SSL, then what my server will do is immediately... Give send back a three hundred one redirect, saying no. Um, please make this you know. Please make this connection over over a secure connection. Um, the problem is that they're initially able to make a connection that is not secure, and a man in the middle could, and we've talked about this before, could arrange to to strip off. The HTTPS outbound query changing it to HTTP 
in order to still try to get the ser- to make the service usable. Um, I am blocking that. I refuse to uh, to offer any content over HTTP. But the the cooler thing to do is to declare to the browser that it has the permission to upgrade all HTTP links to HTTPS. And the way you do that is everything I the GRC now sends back has a has a, a header added strict hyphen transport hyphen security with a lifetime of one year in seconds. You 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 can specify the max age. And so what that does is that informs all the browsers that support it. And I know that Firefox, Opera, and Chrome do. I haven't seen whether IE does. But what so what happens is the browsers, anyone who visits GRC, for example, with Firefox, Chrome, or Opera, that those browsers see that header and essentially cache that information. That is semi-statically permanently remember that eight the, the GRC is is said that for the next year we're not changing our policy we we anything any connection that you start to make that is not secure you are you have our permission to upgrade to secure so what's cool is that you know no user is going to put in https colon slash slash www.grc.com they're just going to put grc.com if they've ever been to grc in the last year then the browser will remember that hey this is well and every time they go it gets a, another year gets added essentially it, it gets you know that that expiration gets updated so they're just instantly moved to a secure connection and then we went one step further i also shot the guys at google a note asking them to put grc.com and www.grc.com into Google's base code so that even absent that first contact with GRC, Google knows, that is Chrome knows, that that we want security. And the Mozilla people pull from the same configuration file that Chrome does. And although it's not yet out in the, in the normal release channel, the file has already been updated. GRC is there. So that even on a new machine, the very first time you used Chrome, it'll just know GRC is 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 HTTPS all the time. So uh, you know this is what a growing number of security aware sites are doing. For example, I saw LastPass.com and www.lastpass.com were are already in the list as are uh, a number of other sites. So this is something where, you know, the browsers over time are learning that there are sites that are all about security and we, and they're never to establish a connection that's not. So uh, that was neat. Oh, and um, I there's a new page on GRC that will be of interest to existing Spinrite owners. Um, so two Sundays ago, so a, a Spinrite user tweeted me a photo of just a screenshot of his smart page, the SMART, you know, self-monitoring analysis reporting technology page. 
um, and was concerned by what it showed. And I, it was such a perfect example of sort of everything going on at once on that page that I thought, okay, this is a great, this is a teachable moment. So I created a new page at grc.com, which is just slash SR for Spinrite slash smart. Um, and it's also in the main menu this, un, under the Spinrite category, is a, which is a complete ex- explanation and tutorial about everything going on on that smart uh, system monitor page that Spinrite has. So I know that some people have wondered, you know, what, are, what does all that mean? And so now it's because com- that's completely new in Spinrite 6 um, and there's a lot of information there. That I think people will find so people in the chat room are saying, "Well, when's Twit going to the HTTPS? Is there a compelling reason for us to do so?" No, there really isn't. Um, you know, I'm I've got so many uh, so many pages w- that have to be delivered securely. You know, the the perfect passwords page, uh, the password haystacks page, uh, the now the fingerprints page. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention what's really cool is. It used to be that G, that my technology that I had deliberately switched people back, sort of in old school fashion, back to non-HTTPS when it wasn't needed. Well, Google quickly saw that I was sending out these the the strict transport transport security header, and if you if you just put GRC into Google, I'm of course the first thing that comes up, and there were four links there. Um, only two of them used to be HTTPS, and that was password, the perfect passwords and the password haystacks. The other one was DNS benchmark and another one I can't remember. Now Google has already seen what's going on and updated all of its links for the pages. Um, it still has non-secure for the the default root page, but I imagine it'll. it's just a matter of the index getting updated. So Google is quickly seeing, oh, look, let's just change, you know, GRC over to HTTPS. But, you know, so it's really, it's a site like LastPass or a site like mine. Um, you, I, I would argue that banking sites ought to be, ought to just broadcast oh, yeah. their security oh, yeah, all the for time. sure, yeah. Um, so, 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 you know, sites that are about it being very important that transactions never be eavesdropped on, um, Essentially, doing what I've done really narrows the attack surface. I, mean, I don't know. It's hard to imagine now how somebody could wedge themselves in, um, especially that we're an EV site. And we now know that the EV display for Firefox and Chrome will not come up if there's a man in the middle because the certificate is being checked also internally by the browser, not through the re- regular public key infrastructure thus you can't spoof it with a um a, a fake a ca certificate in the machine but you know to answer the question really sites that are not about security um really they're, they're, there's really no benefit and there i mean it is, it is administrative overhead and notice now that i'm committed i cannot now not <laughs> ever have security at grc because i've declared to the world that that we will always have uh, have uh, HTTPS. 
So, you know, it's I, I'm never going to let my certificates expire. That's for sure. Also, we'd have issues with, um, as somebody pointed out in the chat room, mixed content, uh, that those mixed content warnings, because we get, we pull content from insecure sites. So if yes, we were and, secure, and, that would confuse the hell out of people. Yes, them. and for example, um, the on the Security Now page, the uh, we bounce all of the links through PodTrack for for pod track tracking. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, for example, I have a media server, media.grc.com, and that's why I did not do, you, you have with strict transport security, you can say grc.com and all subdomains. But I explicitly did not do that because I need media.grc.com to be able to be accessible over a non-secure channel because pod track doesn't support um HTTPS redirection only HTTP redirection. So there are some plate, but you know, for 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 MPEG three files and and so forth, that's fine. Any advantage? Uh, our chat room's asking uh, to protecting from DDoS. Does it kind of slow down attacks? I don't think it would. No, and the arguments against SSL, as we've talked about, for from a from a computational burden standpoint have really been diminished by by state caching it's only when you initially negotiate your very first connection with a site that that you that there is the asymmetric the public key expensive processing um moment essentially and then from then on all subsequent ssl connections are able to use the cached credentials that that each end has so the client says hey i'm you know i've been speaking to you recently server here's here's a a, a token that represents the conversations we've been having the server checks to see if it has it and if so it's a super fast connection so that so it's really even not a slow thing to do anymore all right, so I'm not going to okay. do it, no. <laughs> but you should. No. Yeah, I, yeah. Oh, I'm really. I just feel good. It's just it was a like, what am I going to break? Sort of concern that I had because it's like because I mean I had I was explicitly moving things back and forth between secure and not secure. So it was a it was I was holding I my see, breath yeah. this weekend. Yeah. Um, but now, but it went very smoothly, and now got all it. of our pages are yeah. are secure. I really I, I got happy. it right out of the bat. Now uh, the other question is, we get a lot of bots registering. Uh, accounts on our wiki this is always a problem when you have a wiki is that people try to spam it it wouldn't make any Uh, difference there do bots not want i would i would imagine that bots are probably secure aware that was one of my concerns in the old days was that search engines were not all able to spider into secure pages and and then another problem was that some sites have a lot of scripting that like sort of essentially in the same way that like news sites have have paywalls sites have inadvertent scripting walls because you know you can only get to their content if you run javascript and so search engines were like hitting that and going well we're not going to go run javascript in order to spider this good luck yeah um and so you know that problem has been solved over time. Yeah. So cool. yeah, I, 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 I don't think you'll see any real advantage. Yeah. Good to know. So, um, in totally random section, <laughs> I got a tweet from Donald Holben, who, who said that he wanted to decommission some drives, and he scratched the surfaces like crazy in order to do so, and he he tweeted me a picture of a drive 
the surface was just you could hardly even see it. It was so scratched up. But but one thing I noticed was that he did not pull the magnets. And so in totally random section, I wanted to say to our listeners, hard drive magnets are the coolest things you will ever play with. <laughs> Always pull the magnet. <laughs> um, what what, the, what I, kind of magnet is it? What's so special the, about it? What, what's so special is they are the, the most bizarrely strong magnets ah. ever made. Are they rare earth? or what, what Yes, are, they neo, are neodymium. Hyper, they are hyper rare earth. Hmm. They, so the idea is that you've got, you have two magnets on that are being held apart and and what moves inside them is the coil that is that runs the head positioner. So this is the head positioning servo coil, and and so so what happens is the the electronics puts current through the coil to generate a magnetic field, which which needs something to act to act against. What it acts against is the magnetic field created by these permanent magnets in the hard drive. And so there's been a huge need to create the strongest magnets possible to generate the highest Gauss field in order to generate the greatest acceleration and thus the lowest seek times with the lowest input power. So the point is, you could always get this thing to generate a higher acceleration by putting more power in, but that's one of the most expensive things that a drive does is seek the heads. So if you have a stronger magnetic field, you then less input power will generate more physical torque in order to create acceleration. The point is huge economic need for creating strong magnets. And oh, baby, these things, they are just bizarre they are so strong <laughs> so they're in every hard drive if you are ever decommissioning a hard drive don't forget to get the magnets out is it because, dangerous is there anything I well should... they are they're they're don't swallow would, them take, take you don't get them you know don't swallow them take off if you have a mechanical wristwatch put that in the other room yeah um but I mean, and and when I said yes to your, are they dangerous? It's that you can pinch yourself. Right. I mean, if you if if you got them and they pinch some right. skin, they would just they're they're they are so determined to get themselves together that or or if you reverse them, to, they, they generate such repulsive force. It's it's freaky how strong they are. I mean, you you can spin one a foot away from the other, and and it's like they're it's like they're linked. It, it, they're well, really that's cool. the danger. So, I know the uh, of these uh, rare earth magnets uh, and these neo. What is it? Neodymium is that uh, if you swallow, two, kids might swallow them, and it can yeah. pinch your intestine and can cause a blockage and things like that. Yeah, there that's was a the, problem. That, that there were uh, Think Geek was selling Bucky balls. Yeah, you, which yeah, are, they put, took them off. I have them. I love them. Yeah, they're very fun, yeah. but uh, you know, they again, they are swallowable, and th you know, these really aren't. They're sort of kidney shaped and maybe about an inch. Or an inch and a half long, depending. So there, you know, you wouldn't think, oh, I'm going to swallow this. But still, uh, very cool. If put, you've got, and maybe you've got old drives around that you're that are dead. They are dead, and so you know, put Bucky balls cool. out of business. By the way, they uh, had to. They went belly up. Wow. Yeah, isn't that sad? It is sad. Yeah, they were basically forced out of business by. Uh... Wow. Okay, so I tweeted yesterday. 
probably the best ad that I mean, the the responses to the tweet were best ad ever, and the, for those who do not follow me on Twitter, um, I created a shortcut as I do, bit.ly slash s n n i m o y. So that's security now. Nimoy, N I M O Y, as in Leonard Nimoy, of course, S N N I M O Y. This is the new Spock, Zachary Kinto, and Leonard Nimoy in an incredibly wonderful Audi commercial. Should we play the ad? I mean, it's t- it's two minutes long, three minutes long. Yeah, almost. you want to play do it? it? All right. Yeah. Here you go, ladies and gentlemen, Spock and Kinto, and this is an unpaid. Unsolicited ad. Hello. Check. <laughs> Check and meet my young friend. So Kinto and Spock are actually... How about another challenge? Kinto and Nimoy are playing chess. Off the club chess. And get some lunch? Whoever gets to the club last buys lunch. Stand by to have your wallet emptied by a tractor beam. <laughs> Anything's possible, but probably not that. So uh, Kinto goes to his Audi S7. We Pops. should mention that, that, you know, our... Our our uh, commentary doesn't do it justice. Everybody no, you have to watch to it, but there's so many audio it. listeners and transcription yes. readers that we better yes. explain it. So uh, he pops his uh, clubs into the S7, no problem. Nimoy's got a Mercedes, and a profanity ensues when his clubs don't fit in the trunk. Kinto turns on his GPS, which pops out of the dash. Leonard, meanwhile, is buckling his clubs into the passenger seat. First Mercedes. I'm sorry to have to do this. It does, but we have. I have to comment, otherwise, the audio listeners just will hear music. Yeah, I think maybe they just have to get online, though. We have to acknowledge that 90% of our audience is not seeing us. Apparently, this is a song that Leonard Nimoy actually recorded some years ago. Yeah. <laughs> like the lens flare, very J.J. Uh, Abrams. Go, Bilbo! <laughs> Paul Leonard. Go! Hey, where are you? Use your sensors. <laughs> no need. I'm already here. You're there already? I feel like I'm stuck in a black hole. No worries, I can practice my swing if you need to pull over and take a nap. Smart ass. Leonard pulls up at the club, trapped in his car. I have been, and always shall be, your friend. Really? I had to. Nice try, you No, wish. no, no, I definitely had Not for a second. Obviously, you're buying lunch. Technically, we're not inside yet. And he gives him the Vulcan pinch and knocks I'll see him you out. inside. <laughs> Kinto's left lying on the ground. <laughs> That is an so, awesome ad. And huge number of Star Trek references throughout. So and, which, and just, uh, that was the movie, right, where Nimoy dies? Uh, that was the um, that was the one that predated the search for Spock. Uh, I guess it was the Wrath of Khan. It was, that the, was, Wrath, it was the, the Wrath of Khan. So that was the very end yeah. where where Spock sacrifices himself. The, the needs of the many outweigh right. the needs of the one. Right. The, terif- um, the terraforming has gone terribly wrong or something yep. like that. Yeah. Well, no. the 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 uh, the probe is going to uh, explode right, and right. and kill everybody who's within its range. So yeah. Of course, he yeah. comes back because anyway. you can't really have Star Trek. No. Uh, they and he's, they he's still he having so much. 
He's, he's still having so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what a great ad. Many agree. So, Perhaps the best ad ever. bit.ly slash S-N-N-I-M-O-Y. Security now Nimoy. And uh, everybody can see it for themselves. It was yeah. great. Yeah. Now, The Onion, of course, is well known for having a lot of fun spoofing things. Uh, there was a note that appeared in The Onion uh, from Karen Subert, who's the privacy and security expert for Chase Bank. And she says, at Chase Bank, we recognize the value of online banking. It's quick, convenient, and available anytime you need it. Unfortunately, though, the threats posed by malware and identity theft are very real and all too common nowadays. That's why, when you're finished with your online banking session, we recommend three simple steps to protect your personal information. Number one, log out of your account. Second, close your browser. And then, three, charter a seafaring vessel to take you 30 miles out (laughs) into the ocean and throw your computer overboard. Yes... Online banking security is as easy as one, two, three. (laughs) Chase is committed to making your banking experience enjoyable, trouble-free, and above all, safe. Love it. Which is why you should strike your computer with 20 to 25 forceful blows from a pipe (laughs) wrench. As soon as you reach international waters, toss the plastic and metal shards into the sea and then immediately sink the ship you're on. And then, once you dive to the seafloor, grab the scattered computer pieces and shove them all inside living clams. <laughs> You'll be able to rest easy, knowing you're banking smarter and safer with Chase. So, thanks to The Onion for that. Um, and lastly, uh, the first season of a show on FX that I very much enjoyed is over, and I can recommend it without hesitation. Uh, It's called The Americans. Oh, yeah. I was wondering what you uh, thought of that. Extremely good. Mm. Uh, IMDb gives it an 8 out of 10. Um, It has been renewed, and I imagine they're going to keep it going for a while. Uh, It stars Carrie Russell, who we know. uh, J.J. Abrams likes her a lot. Uh, so, for example, you know, he was the creator of Felicity, and so she was the Felicity character for four years on that show. And, of course, J.J. used her briefly at the at the beginning of Mission Impossible 3. She was the agent who ran around a lot and died f- after the first ten minutes of the show. So she didn't last so very he, long. He liked her, that. but not a super lot. <laughs> <laughs> she was an original Mickey Mouse Club uh uh, person and has a very long filmography. Uh, she plays with Matthew Rise, who we've only really seen him briefly. He was best known playing Kevin Walker on the Brothers and Sisters uh, Sunday night uh, soap that was on for a number of years. Anyway, season one is finished. Number two is coming. Um, and I'll give you just a sense for it. The description um, that they have for the show was the Americans... If if is FX's period drama about the complex and complicated marriage of two KGB spies posing as Americans 
in suburban Washington, D.C., shortly after Ronald Reagan was elected president. Philip and Elizabeth, played by those actors, have a network of spies and informants under their control, while their two children, 13-year-old Paige and 10-year-old Henry, know nothing about their parents' true identity. Even though Philip's growing affinity for America's values and way of life leads to tension with Elizabeth, who is quite gung-ho Mother Russia, the two must work together to keep the FBI from discovering who they really are. And I have to say, I love the show. It, it was really compelling because it was very well written. It was not in a hurry. It wasn't, it was, I saw a criticism that it wasn't enough James Bond. But the fact is, there was plenty of stuff going on. I mean, it was, there was, it was exciting. But it's, it mostly is a study of, I mean, really written as if it were true, of, of this is what, if, if you assume the setup, this is what these people would really be going through. And I really liked it. So I, I, it gets a, a, a Steve Gibson 100% recommendation uh, as something that people may want to take a look at when it's on Netflix or, or you know, at your, <laughs> at your favorite media outlet, whatever that is. BitTorrent, yeah. Yeah, I hesitated to say. <laughs> I know what you were thinking. <laughs> Your favorite pirate media outlet. And yes. I did have a a nice note from a John Cole in, and I think I would pronounce this Gifu City, Japan. Mm. He said, Dear Mr. Gibson, I just had to tell you what happened because I'm so amazed again. He said, on another desktop computer, I ran two other registry cleaners and then noticed in the readme file of one that it definitely does not clean out Windows registry entries to any degree and recommended Microsoft's RegClean for that. I ran it and found some registry problems left by the two other RegCleaners and backed them up with no problem. So I decided to run Microsoft's RegCleaner on another older desktop and somewhere along the way it seemed to have frozen up. I read the readme file there which says that sometimes RegClean may have may appear to have stopped, but is actually working. Hmm. So I waited and waited. I finally ran another instance of RegClean to check out if it would stop at some at the same point, and it did. So I rebooted, thinking that would clean up the ongoing confusion. But, and we know where this is headed. Upon reboot, after entering the BIOS password, Windows starting uh, started coming up normally. But the red LED indicated reading to the hard drive stayed lit for more than three minutes, while normally it takes only 20 seconds or so. I waited longer, telling myself this must be a fluke and it'll be okay. Well, I got tired of waiting and finally realized something was wrong. So I ran Spinrite at level two. My first time to do this, I've always run level four in the past. In the initial window that comes up, each sector was processed but no sector came up recovered or bad or unrecoverable on that window. After the operation finished, on another window, I saw many ECC corrections and other things, but I don't know exactly what those mean. Of course, we've taken care of that now with the new screen that I just mentioned earlier. Anyway, SpinWrite scan, after SpinWrite scan, I rebooted. And just like magic, everything is back to normal. A good boot and Windows XP running perfectly again. I don't know exactly what it is that Spinrite does, 
but I know it does it extreme, <laughs> extremely well. I can't thank you enough. It's magic. When I purchased Spinrite, I thought it was a bit expensive, but it's paid for itself many times over. P.S. I listen to you and Leo every week, and I love the show. Oh, so, nice. John, thanks for sharing your story. Defu Prefecture. Prefecture. Ah. Yeah. Okay, See, now. We got, go ahead. Lastly. Lastly. Yes. This, this also generated a huge feedback from most of the people who saying, what, Steve? You're saying Spinrite can't fix that one? Uh. This is the I really want my data destroyed photo of the week. Oh. And right. there's the link, Leo. Yep. You can click on that. Let me go pull that up. This was somebody who was determined not to have his hard drive data Did he take read. it on a boat, bang it 45 times, and then... <laughs> well, I think he, he almost followed the, the chase security uh, uh, That platter advice. is pretty... It looks like he could, he's made an ashtray out of the platter, actually. Yeah. Someone said, Steve, you could just steamroll it, and then, and then Spinrite would probably be able to <laughs> run over it and fix it. Actually, yeah. I mean, I think you really still need to do something to, to make that unreadable. I don't know. Why. Anyone? <laughs> Anyone? Actually, you can see that he forgot the magnet. The magnet is sitting there. Which on one is top. the magnet? The uh... that's that kind of curved looking thing ah. held held between four dots yeah. in order to hold it in place. Yeah, this thing here, huh? All right. Yeah, it's very cool. That's that magnet. Get the magnet while you can. Get the magnet. I'm gonna go out. take apart some. Uh, we got any extra hard drives Whoa. lying around, John? We can. Let's just pry them open and take the magnet. They're they're fun. <laughs> Leave the gun, take the magnet, as they said in The Godfather. Uh, we are going to uh, come back with your questions and uh, answers in just a second. Before we do, though, I want to say hello to our sponsor, ProXPN. Very gratified they were by the response from their ad a couple of weeks ago. We talked a little bit how it worked and so forth. Um, ProXPN is a global virtual private network, a VPN. It's all set up for you. They use OpenVPN. Actually, they also offer, although we generally don't recommend it, PT, PPTP for de mobile devices that don't support VPN, right? Is that Better than no security. It's better than nothing. And then we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that now, now uh, we're starting to see a VPN working on some uh, of these mobile devices. Um, but basically, of course, you know this, but if you listen to security now, but for those who don't, it creates a secure encrypted tunnel when you're using it, all of your online data passes directly from your computer to the, sor the source server, totally encrypted. Any online application works with ProXPN from the point of view of your browser, your email, your file sharing, your IM, everything. It doesn't know it's running. It just passes everything through that encrypted tunnel, hiding it from private uh, prying eyes, disguising your physical location. That's kind of a secondary benefit to this and giving you access to any website or online service, no matter where you live or travel to. You'll see they have servers all over the world. Dallas, Seattle, London, Singapore, Los Angeles, New York City, and Amsterdam. So you can appear to come from any of those cities. You choose the server you want. So uh, that's a handy tool if you want to uh, say, you know, I'm, I'm coming from London, for instance. I want to use the iPlayer. The encryption key is 2,048 bits, the tunnel 512 bits. It is strong encryption. Steve gave it his thumbs up. Uh, and uh, you're going to like this if, for instance, your ISP says uh, six strikes and you're out. Maybe you want to use ProXPN. Your ISP will never know. It bypasses Internet filtering, blocked websites, geographic restrictions. Their software for Windows or Mac offers advanced controls, which means you can select the programs and ports you want to route through their servers. That's interesting. So you could do some of your stuff in the clear, 
and just say, hey, just the browser, for instance. Everything else will be going uh, normally. Uh, world-class customer support, too. Works with iOS or Android as well as Mac and PC. Right now, if you go to proxpn.com slash twit, we've got a special offer for you. Proxpn.com slash twit. It'll say, welcome, twit fans, if you do it right. Uh, you'll get more information and you can sign up. The premium accounts, normally $10 a month, $74.95 for an entire year. Use the code SN20. SN20, you'll get 20% off, not for the first year, but for the lifetime of your account. That means the yearly plan is less than 5 bucks a month. That nice. is a very, very good deal. And, of course, if you're not satisfied, you can cancel within seven days for a full refund. So, again, proxpn.com slash twit. The offer code's right there, SN20, and you'll get 20% off for life with ProXPN. Find out more. Get your guard up with ProXPN. We're so happy to have them on the show uh, because, as you know, it's a product Steve and I both recommend. ProXPN.com slash twit. All right, Steve, questions and answers. Are you ready, sir? You betcha. All right. The Wrath of Khan, it was the... It was the, uh, what was it, the the Genesis device? Yes, the Genesis probe, the Genesis was, probe. The, was the thing that was, or and they also called it gen, the Genesis device. That was what, when it went off, it was going to reconfigure all the matter within its range. And so you had to be out of that nebula that, where they were setting it off or you'd be toast. And so Spock had to get the uh, the engines back online. He had to stick his arm down some horrible radiation himself. thing. Yeah. yeah. But then came back and so everything is fine. That's where the reboot is so great. <laughs> uh, he just he looked great in that ad, Leo. I, I he, he was, you know, I, I think, well, we got plenty of more Nimoy here in the future. <laughs> plenty so, more Nimoy. And then speaking of which, Kirk and looks Shatner too. too. Yeah. Shatner's in great shape. That shows you when you do what you love. Well, you it's stay the, young. it's the time travel, yeah, you know that that's That'll what do did it. it. You know, yep. if you're a time traveler, you can do all, you can play all kinds of games like that. <laughs> uh, question number one from Joe Roderick, Massachusetts. He wonders about the value of stealthing IPv4 ports. I love the show, thank you, etc. I'm wondering what the virtue is in having stealth ports these days. My understanding is when you're stealth, you, you know, and somebody pings the port, no response, nothing to attack here, move along. However, with IPv4 nearly full, are there really any attackable IP addresses that have no device behind them? In other words, hackers might just assume, hey, it's an IP address, there's going to be a computer there. With IPv6, of course, so many ports, many of them, most of them, a vast majority of them will be unoccupied. What do you think? <laughs> well, that was an interesting idea. I mean, the idea being that, okay, if IPv4 is all allocated, then you pretty much know there's something there. Um, okay, so, and, but, but then I love the idea that, well, wait a minute, what about with IPv6? Well, yes, if you have, when you have a 128-bit address, which is what IPv6 gives us, then you, it is no longer feasible to scan the address space. You know, H.D. Moore scanned, recently he's been scanning a lot, the, the internet often finding all kinds of things, but... But but that's exactly the point. The, the the fact that that there are all these devices on available, visible on IPv4 says, and and they're being discovered 
by spiders and by scanners says you really don't want ports open. You want to be stealth. So, so then the question is, is it worth saying I'm here but my port is closed or I'm just not here at all? You know, stealth doesn't cost anything. It's not like you have to pay annually to be stealth. It's, you're, <laughs> it's just a matter of not sending anything back. When someone sends you a probe saying, can I connect to this port? You know, you can say no or you can just ignore them. And so all stealth is is just ignoring them. So why wouldn't you? So it's As like, we know from this British uh, whatever post office, there are plenty of places that aren't using all their IP addresses. Yes, and, and exactly. And in fact, the blocks that are still unknown are known. I mean, sorry, the blocks that are still unused, unallocated, non-public are known. For example, nobody is going to scan the 10 dots chunk right. of 16 million addresses because there's nobody there. That's been reserved. And the fact is, as IPv6 begins to roll out, the people who care about such things will know which blocks of IPv6 have been allocated to whom. So there, there will be allocation maps available saying if you want to scan, these are, this is the, these are the blocks you, you, you would, you know, you would scan. And there'll be all kind of leakage of which IPv6 addresses are in use. For example, right now, every server gets all the IP addresses of everybody who contacts it. So if in some future world, <laughs> maybe not this one, IPv6 ever does exist, you know, it'll be easy to start building logs of what IPv6 blocks are apparently allocated based on traffic coming into servers. So it's really never going to be a mystery um, even vast as the IPv6 space is, will be pretty much, you know, there'll they'll be lists and, and well-known, you know, these are the ranges that are alive, and the vast majority of the space will always be empty. And again, stealthing is free. Just don't say anything. Right. Yeah. Why, Just why, ignore, ignore the nonsense why, that's why coming Why respond? In. Right. Dave Riggleman in Indianapolis suggests that the SSL Labs report doesn't tell the whole story. Thanks to your recommendation of SSL Labs, I ran a report on one of the banks I use, Huntington National Bank. They're a larger bank in the Midwest, and I was shocked when they had a grade of F because they supported SSL version 2. I immediately contacted customer service and eventually reached the IT department. After some investigation, it turned out the bank's main page did support SSL v2, although they did plan. There was a plan in the works to drop it but it hadn't yet been carried out. However, and this is important, that's different from the server being used for online banking. I reran the SSL Labs test, and this time the grade returned was a C. I guess I presume he put the banking URL in instead of Correct. the front page address, which is, of right. course, what you should do. Um, anyhow, I wanted to make you and possibly others aware the grade they see from SSL Labs when first visiting a site might not tell the entire picture. Thanks for the great show. Yeah, that is was a great note. Many people, first of all, the SSL Labs referral has been really useful. I've had a lot of feedback from people who, frankly, stunned me with how quickly their banks did reply, credit unions and banks and so forth. I think it's just, it's so easy 
to be uh, concerned by a grade of an F, and SSL Labs will give anybody who has SSL v2 because there are so many exploits uh, possible against version 2 of SSL, an immediate flunking, you know, failing grade. So, so many people said, my, my credit union had an F. I told them the next day it was a B. And it's like, wow, okay. I mean, but not, not just once, over and over and over and over. So I've really been impressed with the, with the power of the visibility. And, I, and, of course, you know, banks are going to be more concerned about their reputation. So the idea that someone is rating their security and F is going to get the attention, you know, is going to shoot through at light speed to the IT department. But the point that David makes is a good one, and that is you absolutely – and many people have been confused in the same way. Absolutely have to make sure that you are testing the proper domain because, you know, you might have B of A, for example, .com, and they, but when you actually do online banking, it's onlinebanking.bofa.com, which is an entirely different network or server or whatever. That's the security that you want to test, not, you know, just bofa.com. So definitely important to make sure, as, as you also amplified, Leo, that they're they're checking the right domain. Yeah, make, that makes sense. Uh, Lance, the paranoid cheapskate Reichert, <laughs> who is enjoying the muddy season of upstate New York, wonders about the security of new era common interfaces. He says, I'm looking for a Drobo to use with one dedicated computer, which will remain turned on, attached to the Drobo all the time. This would be the server. And one or more computers will share the Drobo through that server over a network. There seem to be three interfaces for the Drobo family, Thunderbolt, USB 3, and Ethernet. Ethernet is definitely not what I want, since I want a single machine to own the device array, but I'm unsure of the security aspects of the Thunderbolt and USB 3 ports. In the past, you've mentioned that DMA ports like FireWire make it theoretically possible for a physically present intruder to peek into a running system and retrieve, retrieve keys to encrypted drives. Do either Thunderbolt or USB 3 leak that kind of access? If the server PC lacks an integral USB 3 port, would adding a USB 3 interface card give that FireWire-like access to internal memory? Same question for Thunderbolt adapters. Thanks. Don't you Great have to, like, question. freeze the memory in order to read it? I mean, isn't it, like, complicated? Actually, not for FireWire. Um, he's remembering correctly that FireWire, unlike USB, unlike USB, any version of USB, FireWire is a DMA interface. And here's the key. So is Thunderbolt. So That's for maximum speed, I would guess. Well, it, what it is, is it, instead of it being a... Instead oh, it's peer-to-peer -peer as opposed it, to uh, yes, master-slave. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, client-server. Exactly. Server. Yeah, yeah. So... So the Thunderbolt device, just like a FireWire device, has access to all of your system's memory. It's, and, and it does that in order to be a so-called master on the bus and essentially be able to transfer its data into the system memory without any intervention, like without having to be conti continually polled by the processor running in, in 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 the device so it's able to get much that's the way it's able to get much higher throughputs is you're able to tell the device send your stuff to this block of memory and it does it autonomously in order to do that 
it's providing both the address and the data through the interface, which gives it access to everything. Now, the specification for Thunderbolt gives it unfettered access, but we have seen that in Firewire and I'm sure in Thunderbolt, the implementation may put boundaries on the region of memory that it's able to access for the sake of security. So if Lance is concerned, I would choose USB 3 over Thunderbolt from a security standpoint because Thunderbolt does have some potential concerns. Um, and especially if it's running on Windows. I don't know if this is, if he assumes it's a Mac, maybe it's on a on a Linux box. But you'd want to make sure that it was bolted down um, from a security standpoint because the Thunderbolt can potentially access all of your memory, just like FireWire. I'm not sure I'd do what he's saying to do. I'd just get a NAS. But, yeah. Okay. But anyway. But for whatever reason, that wasn't what That's he wanted what he to do. That's what he wanted to do. So. Maybe he has a Drobo yeah. lying around. Gianpolo Racca in Italia wonders, open VPN, build or buy? Hey, Steve, thank you for your show. I heard the last, I can't, I won't do that. I heard the last 400th episode and it made me think it's been a while since I started considering a VPN service. I own a home router flashed with tomato, so... My question, if my only concern is privacy of mobile data, and since I saw there's an official open VPN client for iPhone, can I set up my own VPN network? Then wrap out my mobile traffic through that, through my system to the public internet. Uh, not just to save money, but also to learn something and not have to switch VPN if I have to access my home network. What, what do you think about that? Thanks, and to keep on the rocking. Answer is one word. Yes. Yeah. Good idea. That's a perfect solution. Use yeah. Tomato. Tomato supports the OPN, uh, is it, OpenVPN server. Is it pretty server. easy to use? Yes, yes. And it, it is very simple to use. And um, you can, you, if you also use IP chains, I believe that's what it is, you're able to have multiple ports that all feed into the port that's, that serves OpenVPN. The advantage of that is that you're, you have a much better time getting out of the, whatever network you're in onto the Internet and over to your home. For example, you might use port 80 um, because OpenVPN is an SSL VPN. So, so I, I think OpenVPN, I, I've been a while, it's like 11-something is the default port. 1191 or I don't remember now. But I would say also use like port 80, maybe 443. You know, use a co some common ports that are typical web ports. Those are probably not going to be blocked outgoing for, like from Starbucks, for example. So then you'd be able to use your, your iPhone to connect to your own router at home. When you do that, you'll get a 192.168 IP address, literally an IP address on your home network, and then when it and then it will route your your then you'll be able to talk to your home devices. You'll see them just like you're on your home network, but any external traffic will go right back out to the public internet. So that's a it's a terrific solution. So that's many more than one word, but in <laughs> one word, yes, <laughs> yes, plus annotations. Joseph in Los Angeles wonders whether carrier-grade NAT or CGN is more anonymous. Is carrier-grade NAT more, you know, private? Is there a way for the ISP to uniquely ID a user except by modifying 
the HTTP user agent on a non-SSL session. How would an ISP respond to a warrant in that case? Could they? The RIAA must hate this idea. I don't want to sit behind a 10.xxx IP, but I think for my wife, kids, and friends, it's a great idea, except when they have a problem and call me for help. I hope that CGN only blocks inbound ports and not outbound ports. You better explain. I don't understand what he's talking about at all, Steve. I could hardly even hear you, Leo. Is my audio coming through to you okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Maybe I should talk louder. No, it was it was Skype. It was, oh, it was bad, blah, 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 blah. bad. So, yeah. what is he? Could you just explain what it is? What is CGN? CGN, anyway. So, so this is what we were talking about that BT Telecom and the Verizon also announced that they were going to be doing soon, and that is carrier grade NAT. So the idea is that you know they're a NAT router. Your ISP is a NAT router, and so what he's wondering is, um, is there a way for the ISP to uniquely identify their user on like on in in traffic that they can see that is so that's why he says you know non ssl sessions because he, the isp is unable to see into that traffic um and so what he's wondering is is once cg nat carrier grade nat comes into use organizations like the riaa will no longer see per per customer IPs that they then ask the ISP, who was your customer with this IP at that time? Um, so the problem is the ISPs are keeping records. And so they will know what, what, what non-routable IP and routable IP was in use. So my guess is we don't we, we probably don't get a you know like an increase in privacy uh, as a consequence of our ISPs using NAT for us. It's probably still possible for an, an external organization that wants to track down uh, people who they presume uh, or believe are do, are you know acting illegally. Um, I'm sure there'll be a way for ISPs to say, oh, yeah, that was, you know, this of course. customer of ours. All yes. the, the RIAA does anyway is contact the ISP and say, this is what we know. Tell me who it is. Right. Uh, so. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, his Presumably is, the ISP knows exactly who it is. That's the only question. Yeah, they, if the ISP is, didn't know, then they couldn't say anything. But they know. Well, it is, does require additional record keeping on the ISP's part because now the ISP has to know not only which private IP they assigned, but which public IP that was mapped to because somebody on the outside sees the public IP, not the private IP. So, it's, I mean, it will definitely require, hmm. you know, the ISP to like... To, to, to maintain that mapping, which right now they don't have to maintain. So a, a privacy-inclined ISP could say, hey, we're not going to uh, log this information, so they, when we yes. get a subpoena, we won't be able to do anything. Yeah, I mean, think of it exactly this way. It's like, imagine you have, a, like right now, you've got your normal NAT router in your household, and somebody on the outside says, hey, your IP was doing such and such. Well... And if you had a household of, of six people, you, there's no way of knowing which one of those people was the one. Except if you like use things like time of day. And, Same. Hey, you know, who and was what? using the computer at 4 o'clock yesterday? <laughs> You're in trouble. So, 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 you, so you see what I mean? Yeah. It's like 
is you know that the NAT router obscures the identity behind it. Sure, that makes sense. And and so the identity stops at the NAT router. So what CGN carrier grade NAT does is it pushes that NAT router boundary out to the ISP. So now everyone behind that is obscured. So it does it, it does increase the the level of obscuration. Obfuscation. 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 So Greg in uh, Montville, Montville, <laughs> must be Montville, uh, Ohio, wonders about ProXPN servers. I assume you'll be answering a lot of questions about ProXPN on Security Now next week. We should say, if you're just tuning in, that is uh, the sponsor for the show. Uh, here's mine. While software such as this provides a secure connection between me and one of their servers, the endpoints, what about the connection between ProXPN and the site I'm trying to access? My internet traffic has to exit that VPN tunnel before it goes to its final destination. Won't it once again be vulnerable at that point? And won't ProXPN know everything I'm doing on the internet because they're acting as an intermediary? Why should I trust them any more than I trust my ISP? Or is my understanding of how this works incorrect? Well, okay, so we're back to the same problem we've talked about often relative to, for example, the Tor network, the so-called Tor exit nodes, where because everyone who's using Tor has their traffic essentially concentrated from all over the Internet down to just squirting out of a few exit nodes, you would think, logically, that those would be prime targets for monitoring. So, you know, in theory, Greg is right, that traffic is being routed crypt in, in full crypto tunnels to the pro XBN servers and then at that point decrypted and released onto the internet. So those servers represent all of the traffic concentration points of all of pro XPN's users. It has to so, exit somewhere, otherwise you wouldn't be able to unless you had VPN directly to the website, but as far as I know, nobody does that. Well, that that's the advantage to having it at home is that then your traffic goes to your house and then is emitted from your house rather than being aggregated by a a big server in the cloud where it's all coming in and out with everybody else's. On the other hand, there's a ton of traffic coming in and out of of those servers in the cloud. So that, so, you know, your traffic is mixed in with those. And, but the, I guess my point is that the use model is a little different. Gray, Gray sort of, is thinking, well, wait a minute, you know, like, why would I use this at home? Well, I don't think you probably would unless you wanted to obscure your traffic from your ISP, as you as you were saying, actually, as one of your use cases during the, the when you were explaining about ProXPN earlier, Leo, that would be something you could do, is use ProXPN to keep your ISP from snooping on you. For the six um, strikes law, for instance, yeah. Yes, yes. But the, the real advantage, I think, is, is for a road warrior who's out in hotels, who's, who's traveling, who wants to encrypt their traffic. So you, if you were, say, that you, know, you lived in California and you were in New York, well, you could set up a tunnel all the way back to your home in California. But if ProXPN has a server in New York, you're going to get much better performance using a server, a, 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 a VPN server close to you. So, again, it's... It's a it's a set of trade offs. It's an option that you would have, um, but there are, but there are many use cases and and many different ways you could connect 
a, a cryptographic tunnel, either to home or to a, a central point. But it's absolutely true that there is some inherent concentration of, of data uh, in any of these, you know, cloud-based servers. Yeah, and presumably the RIA would, instead of sending a note to your uh, ISP, would send it to ProXPN. But I don't know whether ProXPN would be able to tell who was using what when or, or I mean. Well, and, I and what logging they do. Um, I know that a lot of our very savvy users were asking ProXPN, because I saw this tw Twitter traffic going back and forth, which country's laws do you follow? Yeah. And the answer was we follow the laws of the country in who's, you know, th where the servers are located. So if for U.S. servers, they follow U.S. laws, and for foreign European servers, uh, they follow the laws of the country where, they're they're where the server a is. a Dutch company, am I right? I can't remember. Yes, or yeah. the Netherlands, I Netherlands, think. Netherlands, yeah. Well, I'll have to look at the site, and we'll ask them. But meanwhile, Kent is on uh, on the next, on the docket here. He says uh, he's located somewhere on that third rock from the sun, and wonders, when is a router too old? Hi, guys. Insert nice gratuitous comments here. I'm wondering how old is too old for a router to still be safe? I mean, running an old D-Link DI-604 with its uh, final firmware. hasn't been updated for several years. So I'm wondering, is it still safe to use such old hardware to protect my LAN, or should I start shopping for some shiny new one? And if so, what would you recommend? Uh, I uh, don't use Wi-Fi, as I don't ever see it as being totally secure. What do you think about firewalls that use old PCs, like PFSense? Sorry, okay. Kent. Well, we're asking the wrong person um, whether you should upgrade something that's working just perfectly for you. <laughs> yeah. He said, Steve yeah. is the guy who uses old technology. Yeah, yeah, I still got cranks on the sides of my machines, and they just run. As long as the watch springs don't break, we're all fine. I'm. I think there is no reason if you if the router does what you want. If you don't, for example, want to switch to gig Ethernet, which is probably not supported. Well, I'm sure it's not supported by the DI604. If you're happy with the Ethernet, if you're happy with the speed, if you're happy with the features, if you don't want Wi-Fi, I mean, we see instances where the new stuff is where the problems are. Right. I mean, it probably doesn't have universal plug and play. Yay. Yay. So, you know, yes, stick with it. I see, you know, again, <laughs> I'm probably the wrong person to ask, but I don't I see no reason to change it until you need some features that it doesn't offer. And old PCs make really great routers, although they're just much less of a sort of a tiny turnkey low power consumption box. You know, they've got fans and power supplies and, and so forth. So, I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I think running a PC makes sense if you've got one and you like the flexibility of, of having more of a Linux-based, you know, bigger iron solution but it's definitely there's just more to it than a cute little you know router running in the corner mark prescott calgary alberta canada has some terrific input about butterfly labs and bitcoinage steve i just finished episode 401 of security now i thought i'd send you two thoughts on the butterfly labs question butterfly labs has produced and shipped some jalapeno units um, my impression is the majority of these units went to Bitcoin to review sites, Bitcoin review sites, but some likely have gone to paying customers. To my knowledge, no other units have been finalized. According to their statements, BFL has run into problems developing the ASIC units, as you suspected. 
in a few areas, namely power consumption, heat generation, and the amount of processing power they can get onto a single chip. This has resulted in price changes, uh, expected output for the units, and changes in the casing and fan assembly. Quite frankly, I believe them, but that doesn't change the fact that they're facing an uphill challenge, which could result in orders not being fulfilled. That's his speculation, by the way, not something coming right. from Butterfly Labs. Second, your final question uh, on episode 401 re- referred to the ability of a 5 gigahertz or uh, per second. I'm sorry, giga what? GH. Hash. Giga yeah, hash per giga second. Hashes. Jalapeno unit being able to create $900 of Bitcoin in a month at the present time. I just wanted to clarify that the, while this is true, it doesn't really have any basis in what will happen when the units are officially released and widely available. The reason is right. difficulty. The difficulty of mining Bitcoins adjusts every 2016 blocks, roughly every two weeks, to keep the rate of Bitcoin generation consistent. That means the total network hash rate, currently about 80,000 gigahashes per second, is used to determine that difficulty. So as these units start being you know, spread out uh, in a widespread basis, the difficulty is going to rise proportionately and ensure that the Bitcoin production of these 5 gigahash units will not result in $900 a month worth of Bitcoins being produced Unless the value of Bitcoin rises dramatically, which, of course, it might. Or if you're like, it's like a pyramid scheme. If you're the first one to get it, you're going to make more money than later people. Exactly, exactly. Keep in mind, a large portion of the current network hash rate is derived from GPU-based Bitcoin miners, which have much worse mega hash per second per dollars and mega hash per second per, what's J? Jalapeno rates? What is it? (laughs) (laughs) You're starting to lose me. What? Jewel. Oh, because you're talking about heat use. Oh, energy. Yes, yeah. energy usage. Yes. Megahertz per second per joule rates. Obviously, we've got a Bitcoin miner in the audience here. Then even the jalapeno unit. This means that as the cheaper units become available, it'll become economically non-viable to mine with GPU miners, and everyone will be yep. using the Butterfly Labs or similar ASIC units. Yep. Yeah, because the standard that'll be the standard. It's just going to push everybody that in that direction, and a lot of people won't, will no longer be able to play. The end result, the entire network hash rate will likely depend almost entirely on the cost, initial hardware and cost of running, of whatever the most widely available mining hardware is. That is, $500 worth of hardware power will now likely produce the same amount of bitcoins as $500 worth of hardware power in a year or two. That's good logic. It's just the nature yep. of bitcoins. That makes sense? Very nice piece of work. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you, listener. That's, the, that's how it's designed. Hi, Steve, says Volker Nebelung in Bonn, Germany. Nebelung, isn't that, uh, isn't that a, I think that's from Wagner. It, it reports weird shields up results. Steve, I used your port scanner tool today in my new router Fritzbox 6736 SL. Uh, the Fritzbox. And I'm getting very weird results. Both links show images of two scans of my IP address. I'll show those in a second after I finish reading this. Every time I scan, Shields Up shows different ports. Oh, weird, as closed or stealth. Additionally, the closed ports are always appearing in a certain pattern with a diagonal line of closed ports shown in the screenshots. Is this a bug in the port scan, or is my router actually responding with weird port information? Thanks for answering, Volker. This is a wonderful and very interesting question. Um, We encountered this immediately after... I added that new feature to Shields Up where it was being smarter about not detecting stealth when things were not stealth. Remember that I added its ability to to 
understand ICMP echoes coming back from closed ports. Originally, Shields Uh. Up would send out a TCP SYN, and it was only looking for a SYN ACK um, or a TCP reset, the reset saying, go away, we're closed here. But the other thing that a TCP port can send back is an ICMP packet saying port not available. Now, here's the gotcha. The rate at which ICMP packets will be sent is limited. The, the, the Internet specifically rate limits ICMP traffic. So you can't have, like, ping floods and, and, and you know, and, and other sort of bad situations where, where ICMPs would start fly, flying around the Internet and, like, never go away. So what's happening is the reason Volker is seeing this strange pattern is Shields Up is sending out probes at a certain rate. And so, and his new Fritz box is not stealth. The way it's currently configured, and he could probably change the configuration, it is responding with ICMP packets. But either it or a router along the way is saying, wait a minute, you're trying to send back too many ICMPs. We're going to drop some of these. So that's why Shields Up is not receiving all of the echoes back. It's not seeing all of the ICMP packets. So sometimes it'll see closed and sometimes it'll see stealth. The ports are really closed, but we just can't get all that information back. So wow. what you end up with is this weird pattern. That's cool. Yeah, it, it really is cool. really cool. Yeah. Amazing. A couple of tweets for you. Dale in Fresno wondering about reusing the Blizzard Authenticator dongle. Reusing it. Is the Authenticator dongle, which Blizzard's uh, selling at their website, usable for more than one site? They're selling it for $6.50 each, which seems like a great price. We were talking about how authenticators, are. it's kind of a standard now. Is it using the standard? Do we know? Yeah. It okay. So I feel like maybe I because I had I saw a lot of questions like this, and I feel like maybe I rushed through explaining that. The problem is that if you were to read that behind every authenticator, like the Blizzard authenticator, is a symmetric key. That is there. There is a key that goes along with it. Users who set up software authenticators like with Google and Amazon and Microsoft and and Twit or um and on Twitter and so forth users who set those up see those keys but in the case of Blizzard for example what you have printed on the back is just a serial number and the key is secret you never know what that key is and that's what the authenticating organization maybe it's blizzard that is authenticating themselves or maybe it's verisign as is the case for example with the with the original paypal and and ebay footballs so a third party knows what that key is and they will not tell you they won't give you that key so so the model for the authentication that blizzard offers is of a authentication service 
where you ask the third party what code the authenticator should be showing and you're you're never able to like give that to someone else you'll never know what the code is and so you can't provide it to someone else but more importantly in this model you really don't want to because if you provide it to multiple people and any of them gets their database hacked and of course databases are being hacked all the time unfortunately then your secret code for your your one authenticator gets loose and it's very much like using the same password on every site. We know you don't want to use the same password on every site because if it gets loose, then you can be logged in. You know, People are then able to use that same password to impersonate you elsewhere. Similarly, you do not want to reuse this ever the same authenticator code on multiple sites. So you really have to think of the Blizzard dongle as first-generation technology. It's cool, but it's hardware. And frankly, we've already moved past that. Yeah. We've moved past hardware dongles. We're now into software dongles. I love the Google Authenticator. Virtual. It's just yes. fabulous. And yes. so so help me understand then what's happening. Because with the Google Authenticator, it's software running on my phone, Android or yep. iPhone. And when I want to add... It, it, is. it knows what time of day it is. Okay, so when I want to add... An account, I can enter in uh, some numbers or scan a barcode, which is what I always do. Currently, mine has three. It has Google, LastPass, and Outlook.com. All three of them are using second-factor authentication. I've turned that on. Yep. Uh, and by the way, I save those barcodes. You're probably not supposed to, but I save them in LastPass. So if I want to add a new phone, because I'm always doing new phones, I have the barcode. I just take a picture of it. Nice. Um, and so that's great. So what is in that barcode? Is that a serial number? Yeah, well, that is the that's private... That that's key. the private key okay. that 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 you that that the the agency authenticating has given to you in the form of right. a 2D barcode. So that's what and you then, want. That's the problem with the Blizzard Authenticator. It's the same key all the time. Exactly. In software, my my Google Authenticator can have as many keys as I add. Yes. And so and I so look this, and I get three different codes depending and I just pick the one that I need. So this solves the problem of the so-called key ring. We, we, we talked about, we like, oh, we hope, you know, years ago, when this was just emerging, we were hoping that we weren't going to have, you know, have a big, a big key ring full of individual dongles, each with their own code. And, and this has been solved thanks it's to perfect. the proliferation of smartphones. And everybody now, yes. should be using this because this is now a standard. It's not a Google standard. Others yes. could make an authenticator that would work exactly the same. Yes, yeah, the I, one thing I think we're going to see, and this is premature, but I think there's a way to to leverage public key crypto, and we're not doing that yet. This is all symmetric private key crypto. That right. is, that key is secret, and you need to keep it secret. Right. But I think there's a way when we take this one level up in complexity, and I kind of think that's where Google is headed. We'll have to see how this evolves. And that's why I'm, I'm proper to keep my QR codes locked up in LastPass because that's the, that's the key to the kingdom. Anybody could then yes. add that to their authenticator. And you're exactly right about wanting to keep those because, you know, that allows you to clone those. Right. It's funny. Someone sent me a, a picture of three different phones side by side all showing the same code. 
And he and that person said, well, so much for, you know, authentication. It's like, no, that's, that's what you want. <laughs> all three have the same code. They all think it's the same time of day. Right. So they're all going to show you the, the uh, same result. They're behaving properly. Yep, exactly. Other, otherwise, it wouldn't work if it wasn't always. Yeah. No, I do. Because I'm always got a new phone, right? So I just install Authenticator. I, yep. I scan and, in those codes. It couldn't be easier. I just yeah. think everybody should do this. It's just it's a win. It is the right way for now. I think awesome. it won't last. It's gonna. It's gonna. We're gonna already obsolete that soon. Really, but for now, it's absolutely the right way with some sort of identity feature where I'll have. I'll because I'll have my private key, and exactly. I'll, I'll give out my public key. Exactly that. Okay. Exactly that. Last. Right now, we don't. We don't have the the horsepower. Right. But we but we will shortly. This is great. I love it. I have to say, I feel so much more secure, and I wish everybody would. I turn on Second Factor now anytime I can. It's the right way. Oh, yeah. That's great. It just gives you a peace of mind. Anne Stellingworth, at Anne ST on the Twitter, in Appledum tweets, uh, I'm surprised we didn't get any questions. It's the first question about BitTorrent Sync, which we covered last week, the one and only question. If there's no authentication on BitTorrent Sync, isn't it insecure? Because I could try keys and download people's files anonymously. You know, in other words, brute force the key. How is the uniqueness of the generated key guaranteed? Generating a duplicate key would lead to downloading someone else's files. She's got a good point. Yes, absolutely does. And it's funny because I went back and forth um, in Twitter trying to explain that you know if the key had was four characters then we would have a problem <laughs> because that's just not a, that's not enough bits but we believe and we don't have the full technical readout from them yet but they I'm sure we're going to get it it's two we we believe that it is a it is a root key of 168 bits now, we're just, people are bad at understanding probabilities. But that's, that means there are two to the 168 possible keys. Now, that happens to be, I'm not doing this in my head. I did this ahead of time because I knew you were going to ask me this question, Leo. 3.74 times 10 to the 50. Okay, that's three. And 50 zeros, you know, 3.74 and 50 zeros. I mean, and so, yes, we definitely need good pseudo-random generation. I mean, for example, if you wanted to use your own key, you could use the perfect passwords page at GRC, which generates incredibly very high-quality pseudo-random keys. Um, but... The, we, the the beauty is we are hiding in this vast key space, 2 to the 168. That is a huge key space. And it is true. Somebody if in the chat room could, said 300 trillion, 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 trillion. Yeah. I don't know if that's right, but it sounds yeah, good well, to it's, me. It's, it sounds right. It's right order of magnitude. <laughs> and, and so, but I mean, it's, and so, you know, you yeah, yes, if you, if you, I mean, imagine Think of it as 168 random bits, like pennies, heads or tails, 168 of them. And you have to have every single one exactly right. Well, 
that the fact is that is an incredibly vast key space. So it's, I mean, for example, it is much more secure than a username and password. What? A username oh, that's interesting. A, a username and password. Think of the total number of characters. There's potential collisions a, there too, aren't there? After a, all. Yes. Yeah. There are many fewer characters in a username and password. And the, and the beauty of this is there is no central repository. If you had accounts, you'd have to have an account right. center somewhere. This is just saying that we're going to have so many bits that you can just pick one out of, at random out of the air, and it is vanishingly small chance of ever colliding with someone else. Of course, if you did, you'd know instantly. But you know, it's just <laughs> not going to happen. These? <laughs> it's just, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, wow, that's so, a, that's really so. Collisions are possible, but highly unlikely. Ridiculously unlikely. Like the universe I mean, is going to end. Like, yeah, <laughs> unlikely. Yeah, it won't even get started, Leo. <laughs> and we forgot to mention the Ender's Game trailer uh, while we were recording. Ooh, so I just wanted I to let wait. our listeners know. Ender's Game is a fabulous sci-fi by Orson Scott Card. It's a classic sci-fi concept and story. Uh, there is now a trailer. I'm sure people can can Google it. Oh, and it's find easy to it. find. That's how I found it. It's on YouTube. Uh, uh, Harrison Ford stars. Uh, it's coming out. I believe it's November first um, of this year. So the beginning of November of 2013. Go find the Ender's Game trailer. Oh goodness, it and looks wonderful. We have verified it is spoiler free. Yes, and uh, we do recommend, though at least I do, read the book. You have till November to read the book, because the book will be better. One one of the others is going to spoil it for you. So be spoiled by the book, the original. Uh, although some people prefer the spoilers to be delivered in visual form on a screen, and if that's the case, then don't read the book. But you, one of the others is going to spoil it for you. Uh, really, really good. I can't wait. Looks looks awesome. Um, Steve Gibson is the man at GRC.com, the Gibson Research Corporation. That's where you'll find Spinrite, his bread and butter, the world's finest hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. If you have a hard drive, you must have Spinrite. But you'll also find lots of freebies. There is perfect paper passwords, uh, password padding, which has really changed my life. All my passwords are super long, thanks to Steve. Um, lots of information there, including Shields Up, the absolutely must-use plug-and-play uh, detector, uh, the probe to make sure your router is safe. GRC.com. 16-kilobit yeah. versions of the show are also lurking there somewhere, as are uh, text transcriptions by Elaine Ferris. Uh, and uh, I should I should point out that if you have a question for Steve, for we'll do another Q&A episode in a couple of episodes. Uh, GRC.com slash feedback is the place to leave those. Don't email him. It's not allowed. Uh, we we keep bigger quality, uh, higher quality versions, larger files on our site, twit.tv slash SN, both audio and video, or subscribe and you'll get, a, get it every single week. You can pick the form you prefer. Steve, I thank you. Thanks, Leo. We'll see you next time on Security Now. Security.